Hi, everyone. Welcome back. What a race. We are so excited to recap Silverstone with you all. Once we knew that Joe and Alvin were okay, this was the best race of the season and just generally one of the best races in ages. So dramatic with amazing battles. We had a science maiden win for our teammate drama, a shocking crash, a really stealthy Checo comeback, Lewis on the podium, mixed maiden points, and that's seriously just scratching the surface. Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull all wheel-to-wheel multiple times. What we have all been waiting for. So with that, I'm Sarah. I'm Tiggy. And I'm Chessa. So let's jump into the main takeaways from the weekend. I think for me, I'll keep it short and sweet. This was all about Ferrari. I think while they did a pretty good job considering everything that was going on, they did a good job managing the team orders and the whole Charles versus Signs back and forth. But the strategy team is basically blundering. And I think that was really apparent at this race. So a lot to talk about with Ferrari And then also, I'm just going to throw in a little plug for Alonso. I love that no matter what's going on, he's always in the conversation. He's always kind of showing up. So way to go, King. Yes, go Alonso. So for me, this might have been my favorite F1 race I've ever watched live. Once we knew that all the drivers were okay after that crazy crash, shout out to the Halo and the incredible safety technology, making sure that Joe was okay and all the other drivers. And also a huge shout out to George for sprinting after Joe to make sure he was okay. Just incredible sportsmanship. And my take on all the Ferrari stuff, I think that while Charles definitely has every right to be incredibly frustrated and Ferrari A could have given team orders earlier and B should have pitted Charles for softs during the safety car. I actually don't think considering everything, they handled things as poorly as everything is saying. Both of those calls were really complex, pretty debatable. I think at least the safety car call pitting Charles could have given a seven time world champion track position. And perhaps in that case, neither Ferrari would have ended P1 And also Charles went off track a few times in the final lap. So I'm not sure it was 100% the tire's fault that he lost out on podium. Just everyone had their elbows out. Everyone was giving 110%. It really could have gone any way. I obviously feel for Charles, but I think everyone blaming Ferrari 100% on the strategy on this, I don't think is like completely accurate. I totally agree. I don't think this is a Monaco situation where it was just an obvious blunder because it's important for team morale to try to not give team orders. And I think they were giving signs, plenty of indications that he needed to pick up the pace and they pitted him at one point to try to avoid giving team orders. And so, and then they eventually did give, give orders. And so yeah. I think that them giving signs, the opportunity was justified in the situation when it was his first ever poll. And I think eventually for constructors and for the team generally, it could have ended up worse if science came away being, kind of a bitter and resentful teammate that he felt like he lost his chance at his maiden victory. And then, yeah, safety car, they can't give track position to Lewis. I just don't think, I think that would have been, if they had given track position to Lewis, everyone would have been like, oh my God, rookie mistake, giving track position to Lewis. So (laughs) I agree with taking on that. I just think what a race. Joe's crash is easily the worst since Grosjean in 2020. So just as Tiki said, shout out to safety and the halo. And then in terms of racing, just, incredible wheel-to-wheel action the entire race thank you to the 2022 cars we also love a well-timed safety car um (laughs) and proud of carlos for standing his ground at the safety car restart which we'll get into and really asserting himself within the team and i have to give this points for mick 
Yes, so, finally. How how many times on this podcast has we have we said Mick really just needs to get his points? He needs to pull it together. He needs Every to do it. Every single episode of this podcast, we have <laughs> I think so. I think so. And we are here. Congratulations to for the girls. We never have to say that <laughs> again. <laughs> Our hot takes held up. Nine, not super well. I had a Lewis, Max, and Charles podium, so only a third of that was true for me. But I did say that Lewis would be in the fight with Max and Charles, which he definitely was. Sadly, Max was kind of out of the fight, but Lewis was very much in contention for the win at points and was really in the mix. And then I also said Mick in the points, which I'm going to not give myself really credits for on prediction. That's more manifestation, but still that counts for something. (laughs) If you predict slash manifest something enough times, it'll happen. So well done, Sarah. (laughs) For me, my hot takes actually held up very well. I had Max, Sainz, Checo, and both Mercedes in the top six. So I basically had two-thirds of the podium right and then Hamilton getting podium. So I think that makes up for Russell maybe not being in the points or in the top six for me. And for me, I said Hamilton would win. Uh, He almost had it there, but he did get podium, so that's great. I also said that Ferrari would outperform Red Bull, which they did. So Ferrari had a combined 37 points this race. Red Bull had 24. And I also said both Alpines in the points, which likely would have happened if Ocon hadn't DNF'd and caused that safety car. But Alonso, as Chessa was saying, sneaky P5, always in the conversation. We love to see it. We had so many sneaky finishes here that would have been much bigger stories if it wasn't just such a chaotic race overall. Yeah, yeah, like Vettel starting in the back of the pack and finishing in the points. Sneaky drive from him too. I think everyone was sneaky drives all around. (laughs) So MVPs, I am going to give it to Carlos. I think while he did have a couple lucky breaks that we would be remiss not to mention, first that they restarted after the crash in the starting order instead of the order post-turn one when Max had overtaken him, and then second, the safety car and fresh tires towards the end playing to his advantage. But besides those, he really sent it. He stood up for himself. I think he deserved that win. And Just a side note between Monaco and this race, I think Carlos has proven multiple times that he's got an incredible sense of strategy and that the team should honestly take his advice more. So (laughs) I'm really happy for Carlos. He deserves his first win in 150 races. He's my MVP for sure. That's a good one. I think because the main story was Carlos, I have to go with Checo because he dropped to P17 after front wing damage from contact with the Ferraris on the restart after the red flag. So he had to pit to get a new front wing. He was over 30 seconds off the lead, essentially in last, and literally zoomed up to P2 in a truly chaotic race. And in the midst of that, he had to do so much wheel over racing with Ferraris, with Mercedes, with just so he earned that podium. And also, of course, another MVP is Ocon's car failing and causing that safety <laughs> car at the end, because that was truly what made this race and gave Carlos that chance. And I have to throw in a an honorary mention to Latifi and Mick. This is a lot, but this weekend was so crazy that it deserves some <laughs> extra MVPs. And we have been hard on Latifi on this podcast, but it was his first ever Q3 when they had done insane upgrades on Albin's car and not his. So I got to throw Latifi in there. So I think for me, my MVP, while I would typically say it would be Checo, I think I'm going to give it to Russell. His sportsmanship was very commendable when he jumped out to go check on Joe and basically him jumping out of his car and leaving it there. Try Basically, may, it might have sacrificed him finishing the race, but I think him just making sure that his teammates were okay was was pretty amazing. 
Okay, so how about our least valuable players, LVPs? So mine is Danny. He was super slow all weekend. Everything looks pretty dismal for him. And I know there's a bunch of other things that we'll get into about him, but yeah, I just think it's pretty downhill on on the Danny front for this weekend. Yeah, it was not a good showing from him. I will throw him a quick bone. He apparently had broken DRS, floor damage, and what he called no grip, but who knows? He also didn't perform well in quality, so not a great showing. I'm going to go with the Marshalls for not listening to Russell and letting him restart, but we'll get more into that. Also, the tire barrier. Why was Joe able to fly over the tire barrier? And so that's a whole other conversation. And then finally, all of the approximately 12 Williams upgrades and entire new side pods when Alvin was out in Q1 and Latifi made Q3 with the old version of the car. (laughs) Yes, fair. I definitely agree with the Marshalls regarding George, but I'm honestly struggling to think of another because this race was so electric. Like I think a lot of people would say, oh, the Ferrari strategy team, but I don't totally agree with that or like something else. But I don't know. I couldn't think of anything. So I guess when in doubt, I'll just go with Stroll. I I don't know why, but (laughs) (laughs) Stroll, you're my LVP. (laughs) Okay, so news. We are going to zoom through this really quick because we want to get to all the good stuff. First, there were environmental protesters at the track. Individuals hopped the perimeter fences and ran onto the track during the red flag. In response, Lewis said that he supports them standing up for what they believe in, but that they shouldn't hop the fence because it's dangerous. So that was another just incident of chaos here. Also, Lando tested a new pedal cam for the race this weekend, which was cool. Got us a first, gave us a chance to look firsthand at the really insane footwork on some of these corners. So the goal is to maybe roll it out across the whole grid. And fun fact, this is the first pedal cam since 2000. So that was exciting. Another big news item was that Vettel just bought Nigel Mansell's Williams Renault powered 1992 FW14V car. Basically, Mansell's old F1 car that he won the championship in. And I think he bought it as a 35th birthday treat for himself. And then he drove it around the track in a little show before the race, which (laughs) is very cool. But also, in true Vettel fashion, he had the engine adjusted to run on sustainable fuel. So ever the conscious man, we love him for that. Other news items, Charles's younger brother, Arthur Leclerc, secured his first win of the 2022 F3 season on Sunday morning. And Jamie Chadwick, the dominant star of the W Series, won her or won the W Series at the Silverstone race this weekend as well. In other news, Max is returning to Drive to Survive in season five for a bit. Uh, he, as you guys probably recall, had sort of refused to be in Drive to Survive, calling it overdramatic. He's very focused on racing, but apparently he is returning. And speaking of Max, he was not our favorite this week. His comments on the PK situation were really quite vague and bland and didn't show nearly as much support for Lewis as he should have. Then he defended PK's character, which it just really wasn't the time and place. He really should instead have been backing up Lewis, emphasizing that it was completely unacceptable and offensive and being specific about what actions he is taking or supporting to tackle racism in Formula One. And we just did not see any of that. So... I get his focus on racing, but these are the times to to show up. And then in brighter news, Engine Mode 11, he is an amazing Twitter follow if you're into F1 Twitter. He said that the Red Bull Porsche 2026 announcement is probably coming next week. So look out for that and we will definitely cover it. 
And then last thing, the bouncing and porpoising metric is being implemented at the French Grand Prix this year, but we will have more on that and other news in the Austrian preview. Just really quick few notes on practice. When FP1, the British weather was added again with slippery conditions, so not all the drivers um, set a lap time. And wet conditions in practice and quality make tire strategy more interesting because teams get a pretty limited number of inner tires for the weekend. Thankfully, we got more of a regular FP2, science clock, fastest lap, a little bit of foreshadowing. And then FP3, max set, fastest lap. We also saw Checo and P2 followed by Leclerc, Russell and Hamilton. Kind of the big news was that Russell said on the radio that there was no bouncing. So huge moment there for Mercedes to finally get that radio message they've been waiting for. So let's talk about quali. I'm honestly pretty shocked that there were no red flags during this qualifying session in such tricky conditions. So good for the drivers. There was It was a very hard session, lots of traffic. The rain was kind of on and off. And some parts of the track even had standing water. So the racing line got – oh, and then the racing line got pretty dry at points. So Q1, as predicted, there was heavy rain. So we saw drivers really scrambling out to get a time in on their inter tires before the track got too wet. Max was setting the pace here, looking really strong. Um, and then, unfortunately, or and then we saw Albon, both Haases, um, and both Acid Martins eliminated. This is pretty tough for Seb since he was also out in Q1 at Canada, and he was definitely disappointed for sure. Um, also to note, this is the second race in a row that both Aston Martins didn't make it out of Q1, so a little bit of a disastrous stretch for them. Q2. So even though the rain cleared up for the second half of Q1, it came back very strong for Q2. We were on the edge of our seats and Sainz basically just managed to get a time in right at the end. So we saw both Alpha Tyrese, Yuki and Gasly out and then Botas and then Danny, which sucks for him. And then Ocon. Big note here, this is the first time Latifi made it into Q3. So that was really, really exciting. Despite the fact that, like we mentioned, that Williams had brought a ton of upgrades to Alvin's cars, but not him. So then Q3, drivers seemed on top form here despite the rain, with provisional pole being set initially by Alonso and then traded between Lando, Max, and both Ferraris at one point. Max was really pushing at first had and had several errors. In these conditions, it's really hectic because instead of being able to do some slow laps in between trying to get a flying lap in, once you're making mistakes on these laps, you just have to keep pushing until you get a clean lap, which is pretty tough. Leclerc spun out on his last attempt, which definitely cost him. And so in the end, we saw Carlos get pole position, his 150th F1 race and his first ever pole. The announcers were sort of shocked and so was Carlos, <laughs> actually. Um, the announcers were like, checkered flag, can Carlos hold on? Carlos Carlos is holding on. And then it was one of the best radio messages ever. They told Carlos he got P1 and he was like, what? Really? I felt terrible out there. How did I do P1? And his engineer was like, because you keep it together like a smooth operator. And he was also, Carlos was so humble in his post-quality interview. And then behind Carlos, we had Max P2, Leclerc P3. It was the first time Leclerc didn't start on the front row this season when he didn't have a grid penalty. So then rounding wow. it out, we had Checo, Lewis, Lando, Alonso, Russell, Joe, and Latifi. Big disappointment for Mercedes with Lewis saying he was gutted with his P5 starting position after there was a bit of hype about Mercedes being supposedly back this week. So... Huge crowd support for Lewis and also for signs. The crowd roars were just massive, even on TV. 
And side note, Verstappen was seeing a little bit of booing and Lewis was telling fans not to boo him, which was uh, a good move on Lewis's part. Good job, Lewis. You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core, and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacova's is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacova's. only at Tacovas.com. So getting into the race, it was a huge weekend overall which over, with over 400,000 people over the course of the weekend. Largest crowd ever for Silverstone. On the gridwalk, Martin Brundle said it was more packed than Miami. Yeah, and then Sam Ryder did a really awesome rock and roll version of the British National Anthem, which I love singing along to since that's what I sang growing up as a kid at school. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> and then, as I'm sure you all saw, Tom Cruise was in the Mercedes pit, fully in the mix, like standing right next to Toto. And Toto was beaming. And we're like, when has Toto ever smiled in the garage? And he looked so happy. <laughs> Some other celebs there. And then also Keanu Reeves stealthily looked like he was visiting every garage. I feel like I saw him in multiple garages. <laughs> yeah, Michaela Schifrin was also there, Olympic champion skier, Gordon Ramsay, lots of celebs. The starting grid for the race. Well, obviously, we said we had signs on pole. And then it was actually really cute. In a pre-race interview, they asked him if he was exciting. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to quote unquote send it. And then Martin Brundle would point out that it's been 2,500 days since Carlos's last victory in one of the support series. So we were all very eager at the beginning of the race to watch him keep going. We saw for, for the fourth time this season that Stroll was starting last, like we said. Danny was starting 14th on this grid, which is pretty tough considering he finished fifth at Silverstone last year. Botel started 12th this year, but has had five podiums in the past at Silverstone. And then, obviously, we're very excited for Latifi's best ever start at P10. So in terms of expected tire strategy, it was mostly medium and hard tires for a one stopper, potentially two, with the exception of Max and a few others who started on softs. The goal with that was to have Max fly off the line and pass signs immediately with the softer tires. This circuit is really, really tough on the tires, so we were expecting tire strategy to be a main focal point, but boy, were we wrong this year because it was about much more than just tires. We're going to recap the spiciest moments of the race chronologically and then dive into the team notes after just because there was so much going on and we want to cover all of it. So off the start, Max pulled way ahead immediately despite signs actually having a one one hundredth of a second faster start reaction time. The soft tires won out and also Carlos occasionally struggles off the line and then Lewis pulled into P3 right away. Also, just to hop onto the Alonso train, he picked up two places immediately too and jumped from seventh to fifth, passing Checo and Norris. So yay, Alonso. Yeah, Lewis's start was epic. He immediately got past Checo and Charles in like a YOLO home Grand Prix moment. He just <laughs> cut in between Checo and Charles and then cruised past Charles almost immediately before turn one. But there was an immediate red flag. The first sector wasn't even completed. 
due to a massive crash going into the first turn, affecting over five drivers on the grid. Joe had it the worst. They didn't even replay it for a while, so we knew it was pretty bad. It was kind of a freak accident in a way because it was right off the line before turn one, so the cars were accelerating and nowhere near full speed, but George hit his wheel at kind of just the right angle to cause him to go flying. And so the TV broadcasts have a policy of not showing crash replays until there's confirmation that the driver is okay and is out of the car. So it was really scary because we're pretty far into the red flag by the time they made an announcement that he was conscious and out of the car. And it was only much later that they announced that he had no fractures or anything and was medically cleared. And it was absolutely shocking and so incredible to see him walking around in the paddock by the time the race ended. Just such a testament to these modern cars. Yeah. And on the replay, you can see really how gnarly the crash was. Basically, like Sarah said, his car got nicked and then he flipped. Um, which is really hard to do in an F1 car since they have that super low center of gravity. And he was skidding upside down for long enough and fast enough that the car was actually causing sparks right where the halo in his head met the ground, took huge chunks out of the track. And then he went like 100 yards before he barrel rolled, hit the tire barrier, flew over the tire barrier, and then got wedged sideways between that barrier and the fence, which thankfully was protecting fans right on the other side. I think the main takeaway here was think, God for the halo. It's insane that it wasn't around until just a few years ago and that it was even controversial when it was introduced. And there was also a really bad F2 crash this weekend. So science said by the end of the weekend that the halo had saved two lives. Unbelievable. So crazy. And not to go into all the details here because it was kind of like a racing incident, I guess, but Gasly had gotten squeezed between George and Joe, then clipped the back of Russell, then Russell hit Joe really looked like an honest racing incident and no penalties came of it. But like we said, Russell got out immediately and ran to check on Joe, like actually sprinting from his car with a marshal confused and running after him. We didn't know what was going on or why he was running. I thought maybe like the car was on fire, but he was just being the classy good gentleman that he is. But this act of sportsmanship wrecked his race. When your car is disabled, you can bring it back to the pit lane if you can manage to get it back under its own power, and then you're allowed to restart. But once the engine shuts off, it's really difficult to start it again on the track. So George abandoned his car, and then by the time he ran to check on Joe, and then back to the Mercedes garage to ask what to do, then back to his car, the marshals had already put it up on the flatbed, even though they had told him he had told them not to. And turns out all he had was a puncture. So if he had been able to make it back to the pits, he could have completed the race. And he had some back and forth with the senior marshal, Joe Bauer, about being able to restart. But apparently, as soon as you get assistance from marshals, you cannot. So very sad. I think he was pretty pissed about that. And it really seems wrong that they're penalizing a driver for checking on safety in a crisis situation and turned into his first DNF of the season. And then behind all this, in the midst of the chaos, Albin was caught up in a tangle with Yuki, Vettel, and Ocon. So it seems like as the Joe crash was unfolding, Vettel hit Albin from behind and spun him, and he got hit by multiple other cars. Just utter chaos before turn one. Albin was later sent to the hospital for precautionary checks and was cleared while Yuki, Vettel, and Ocon were actually able to make it back to the pits for repairs during Red Flag and were able to restart the race. During the red flag, which lasted a while, the drivers came back to the pits, got out of their cars, and also got a free choice of new tires. Meanwhile, the teams were frantically fixing all of these cars that were involved in these crashes. During the red flag period, there was a lot of conversations about how they were going to restart after the period was over, whether it was going to be that original starting grid, 
because obviously so little of the first lap had even been completed and not all the cars had passed the second safety car line before the red flag even happened. So basically everyone after this was able to start except for Russell, Joe, and Albon, which is wild given how many cars were even involved in the collisions. Max changed his strategy on the fly, went for the mediums, not the softs, and then some other teams chose to switch to softs. But on the restart, we had basically a second start to the race. So this was kind of a gift. This was the first gift from the gods to Sainz because yes. <laughs> it undid Max's that pass with him. Good. So Sainz got to start P1 again. And he did. He took advantage of it. He definitely had his elbows out immediately, defended really hard against Max and went full send. He was literally not giving him any room. People were even surprised that happened and it really seemed like Max was going to get through. But in a classic Max-style aggressive start, Signs managed to out-Max Max. So a lot to think about that. <laughs> yeah, there was also a good Lando versus Hamilton fight for P5. Leclerc and Checo made contact. So right at the beginning, we had Signs, Checo, Leclerc, Max, and then Lando and Lewis wheel to wheel. At one point, basically both Ferraris and both Red Bulls were running four wide, which is insane. I like want a poster of that image. It was absolutely <laughs> wild. I know. And then seconds later, there was more contact between Leclerc and Checo. And Checo, that's what we had talked about before. He had to go and pit and get new a new front wing due to the damage coming out in P17. Charles actually also had front wing damage and lost an end plate, but it didn't impact his pace much and he ended up flying. So we had signs for Stappen, Charles, Hamilton, and then Norris. And Verstappen in classic fashion was closing in really fast on science and got within DRS range. We were all so stressed, really pulling for science. Science made just a small error and had a bit of a snap, which was enough for Max to pass him going onto the hangar straight. And then by lap 11, Charles was basically yelling on the radio that he was faster than Carlos and to let him pass. So that was kind of the first hint of Ferrari drama. Then Max got a huge chunk of carbon stuck in his floor and both Ferraris passed him, which started off the Ferrari one-two drama that we'll get into. And this race had a crazy ending, but in all seriousness, really the best thing F1 has seen in recent memory. Hamilton called it Formula One at its best. Things got very spicy again. This was lap 39. Alcon lost the car due to fuel pump issue, which triggered a full safety car. So at this point, the order was Charles Sainz and Hamilton. So this was the big strategy moment for Ferrari. We talked a little bit about it at the beginning, but TLDR... Charles was told to stay out, and then they boxed signs for soft tires while Hamilton and Checo and a few others went in for soft. So slight disadvantage for Leclerc, but like we said earlier, there was good reasons that Ferrari had for that as well. Yeah, the engineers had also said that the softs wouldn't be much faster than what Leclerc had on the mediums, when in fact they unfortunately were, and they didn't degrade too badly since the cars were lighter with less fuel and the track was already decently rubbered in. So then the restart after the safety car, there was some drama here as well when Ferrari told Signs to drop 10 meters behind Leclerc to give a protective buffer for Charles against Lewis, who was in P3. And then Signs, he stuck to his guns, who basically refused saying, please don't ask these things and let's just stop <laughs> inventing. I'm under pressure. Also, he was basically begging the team not to do this. And I'm so, proud of him. And yeah, as you said, that, that was the right call. Like Hamilton would have passed him immediately if he had a buffer behind Charles. And then, yeah, I, I just think I was, it was a really good call for him. And you, you got to stand up for yourself sometimes, like be selfish. He's going for his maiden victory. And he's like, don't yeah. disadvantage me to help Charles right now. He took it. He took it. And on lap 43, so this is really when all the action commenced. 
On lap 43, Sainz pushed Leclerc wide and Leclerc went off track and Sainz retook the lead. And then immediately after, Checo and Hamilton go wheel to wheel with Checo taking third. Then we switched back to the Charles Sainz battle for first. So there was just so much going on at this point. Then Sainz took the lead on lap 45. Checo did some beast driving to take second from Charles. Charles went off track. Then Lewis came out of nowhere to pass them both at the same time for second. That was so cool. It was so sneaky. I was very sneaky. I was here for, I wanted it to hold at that point. I wanted it to be science P1, Lewis P2, but Same. then Checo <laughs> passed Hamilton to get second. Then Leclerc passed Hamilton to put him back in fourth. Then Alonzo and Lando showed up. So basically the second to sixth place cars were all within meters of each other. And this really showed how closely the new cars are able to follow each other. It was incredible. On lap 48, Lewis took a big wide turn, got ahead of Charles for third. Then Charles passed him right back, but in the end, Hamilton got DRS, launched ahead, claimed third. Meanwhile, Max and Mick were wheel-to-wheel battling for P7, which was thrilling, but also nerve-wracking because we were like, Mick, please don't sacrifice your first ever points by trying to fight a world champion right now (laughs) on the last lap. (laughs) I know. So the race ended, obviously, signs P1, Checo, Lewis, Leclerc, Alonso with that stealthy P5, Norris for Scappin, Schumacher and Vettel and K-Mag. Also, stealthy finish from Vettel, as we said. Hamilton got fastest lap. Also, just a quick note, during this whole thing, there were a lot of cars being forced off, forced wide. So a few incidents were investigated, but nothing came of it. Also, another note, only 14 cars finished this race from the crashes and some reliability problems. So wild all around. I want to give two quick shout outs here. One to the announcers during this racing. I think they yes. did so well. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like they were clearly having a ball, but they, I think they covered it really well and were just really quick on their feet. So that's one. And two, just the incredible racing, the 2022 regulations, the 2022 cars. Like I don't think this kind of racing with no penalties, very few incidents outside of that first crash. Like, I don't think we would have seen that necessarily in years prior. I know we usually see a lot of action at Silverstone, but like that level of racing, I think is a testament to how far we have come in 2022. So it was awesome. Agreed. It was amazing. Let's talk about the teams. Like we said, there was a lot going on with the Ferrari strategy, but I think for Ferrari, what we want to talk about right now was the back and forth on the team orders here. Towards the middle of the race, Leclerc was pressuring the team to then tell signs to let him through, saying, quote, it's beeping up my race. So instead, Ferrari, what they did instead of just giving the blatant team orders was they denied Charles's request and gave signs some target lap times that he had to hit, essentially giving him a few chances to stay ahead of Charles. But by around lap 17, Hamilton was setting repeat fastest laps and getting closer and closer to Charles, who was second at the time. They sort of avoided the issue at this point by pitting Carlo, so it sort of still gave him a chance and didn't have to give specific team orders to let Charles pass. But towards the middle of the race, then Ferrari told them that they were free to fight, and then by lap 30, Sainz got one more chance, then eventually had to let Charles pass. Sainz didn't argue it. Um, So I think that was probably the best way that they could have done it. What do you guys think here? Did they wait too long to let Charles pass or do you think they handled it just well and didn't make that much of a drama out of it all? I don't think they waited too long. So my take is I think teams are traumatized by the thought of both of their drivers wrecking, especially when it would kind of kill them in constructors. And obviously 
hurt Charles in the driver's championship, just everything. And so Sainz is going for his first win here and wants it so badly. He's done 150 races and never won. So if they hadn't given him chances and then immediate team orders to let Charles through, I think either A, it's possible Carlos would have ignored them and fought him or at least made it difficult, run down their tires even more. And I get people on the other side saying what's a really high tire dig circuit. So they were kind of messing up both drivers here by making Charles run so close and wearing out their tires. But I think it was better in the end and at least gave Carlos a fighting chance. So I'm on team Ferrari. I'm going to back up the Ferrari strategy team here. Yeah. I also, it's not like they let Charles tail signs for like laps and laps and laps and laps. They pitted Carlos and they sort of got this whole thing over with and out of them out of the situation pretty early. So I, I have to agree. I think maybe they could have done slightly better, but a one in four is honestly better than like even a two and three points wise. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think I think they came out of this pretty well. Yeah, I think we all agree. Obviously, Charles does not. He was visibly upset after the race with Binotto. But despite this, I think Binotto restated that they got it all right. Charles really didn't have a shot at winning. So along the lines of what we just said, but it was funny. Binotto gave Charles like a little finger wagging lecture. (laughs) And then Charles, his girlfriend posted, quote, no words. It was pretty dramatic, slightly melodramatic. Um, But then Charles, you know, he's the classy sportsman that he is posted um, a nice post congratulating Carlos and saying that it was deserved, but he also reiterated that he thought it was a mistake that the whole pit strategy happened. But overall, this was basically a whole race about Ferrari in my opinion. And I think they did a decent job considering. Totally agree. In terms of Red Bull, not too much to talk about on the max front, tough race for him after he had had a really amazing um, first start. He lost out on the read on, lost out on the lead at the restart and then started on lap 12. He initially, they thought it was maybe a puncture because he slowed way down in signs, just both Ferraris ended up just sailing past him. In the end, he was still having issues after a pit stop and he said the car was hundred percent broken. And so it turns out it was bodywork damage from hitting a huge chunk of carbon that was apparently just sitting on the racing line and got wedged in the floor of the car and just totally messed up the downforce, the balance of the car Huge performance loss. So we basically just had to try to hold on for P7. Made me wonder if after the restart, they should have yellow flagged it to clean debris up since there were, there was actually a lot of contact between the Red Bull and Ferrari drivers and a lot of debris flying off everywhere. But on a, on a better note, epic from Checo to go from P17 to P2, just really classic Checo, just amazing little battles with the Ferraris, with Hamilton. Also one of the female stewards gave Checo his trophy all of the stewards and safety teams just really deserve their own <laughs> their own trophies here so tough for max but honestly didn't really hurt him that much in the driver's championship since charles finished off the podium yeah he is still definitely far and away in the lead mercedes this really felt a lot of times like a race that lewis could have won he had amazing tire management a good lead on signs towards the middle of the race he seemed to struggle a bit when they switched him to hard tires but in the end it worked out decently when he got soft during that safety car oh my gosh we haven't mentioned this i have to throw in there was a radio message where instead of obviously the classic tire the radio message is like bono my tires are gone and yes he, he was like bono my tires are doing great yeah <laughs> That happened like three times. He was, he was in great form. I am honestly surprised he only got P3. I really thought he would, he was racing like he was going to do better than that. 
But anyway, after getting P3, Lewis now has 13 podium finishes at Silverstone, which is a new F1 record at this track. And this was also his 10th consecutive podium at Silverstone. So crazy. And then a side note, Carlos made a funny comment to Hamilton in the cool down room asking, he was like, so does that mean you're officially back? Like is Mercedes officially back? I don't know if that's if they're totally back yet. We'll see what happens. But Lewis definitely seems to be in the mix again and unfortunate with Russell's bad luck. But had that not happened, they probably could have done a lot of points in this race. So I'm looking forward to Austria to see. I think I think Mercedes is doing pretty well. The combination of George saying no bouncing and Lewis just absolutely crushing it on pace this weekend. I, I'm optimistic. Same. And Lewis got fast as lap. So I don't want to... I think after Austria, we'll have a better sense of if they're quote unquote back because especially with Russell not finishing, it's a little hard to tell, but definitely seems like they've made at least a huge step forward. So excited for Austria. Yeah, big strides. I'm curious to see how they'll do without the home support and the whole wave of excitement that brought them through Silverstone. So we'll see how that goes. In terms of McLaren, we saw Lando P6. So great race from him with some fun British wheel on wheel action with Lewis. Danny P13, like we mentioned, he had some of the issues with this car. So it's hard to tell how much better he could have done, but he was very slow in quality too. So this might change our thoughts around him sticking around for the 2023 season, but we'll let you know on that. Really quick, Alpine. Alonso also secured Alpine's best result of the season in P5, crushing it. I'm so happy for him. He also broke Raikkonen's record of the most miles ever driven in Grand Prix, like cumulatively in their career. So Raikkonen had 57,000 miles. So now um, Alonso has officially driven more than that. That's twice around the world wild. I love that stat. (laughs) And I think his performance would have been more of a headline, that P5 finish, if the race itself hadn't so wild. And for Haas, Mick's first points, it was incredible to see wheelbarrow racing between Mick and Max, a statement that was seemed unlikely a mere day ago. Um, Although Mick wasn't able to make it past Max. So really fun to see. It was Haas's first double points in years. Just so much hustling from them. It's a really good reminder of how for some drivers like Charles, it's devastating to get a P4. And then some teams never even get double points. So I hope they threw a big party. The Steiner ship is a yacht this week. (laughs) Aston Martin. Vettel sneakily finishing in the points, like we mentioned, after getting knocked out in Q1. That is a boss move. Another one, another storyline that we probably could have talked a lot more about had there not been so much going on in P1 through 10 for most of the race. Williams, RIP to Albon's newly upgraded car. Latifi sneakily outperformed Albon and Quali and thought he was going to score some points for a second there. He was running in the points for a while, but he did not make it. Alpha Tauri, super tough weekend for them. Gasly was involved in the Joe crash. And then on lap 11, the Alpha Tauri drivers crashed into each other at turn three and Yuki spun. There was so much going on that was, this wasn't even really discussed much. But predictably, Yuki was cursing on the radio, but he was the one who actually got the penalty for causing a collision. Gasly DNF'd and Yuki finished last. Then Alpha Romeo, most important thing, Joe is okay Thank God. Botas DNF'd due to car reliability problems. So just a really rough weekend for this team. But I'm sure they're both, and they're all just grateful that both drivers are okay. So that's the most important thing for them. So to wrap up, we have to do two radios of the week just because we're so excited for our boy Carlos. So his first 
radio was from Quali when the Ferrari pit wall called him a smooth operator when he was very confused as to how he got pole position. It was very, very cute. And then the second was when he won his first ever F1 race. Um, and he was basically just like, wow, 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 wow. Like it was just really awesome to listen to. <laughs> and then for standings in the driver's championship, the two Red Bulls are still leading, but Checo is pulling away from Charles a bit. So we have Max at 181, Checo 147, Charles at 138, Carlos 127, George 111, and Lewis 93. Then in constructors, nothing huge here, but it did close the gap a tiny bit between Ferrari and Red Bull. Red Bull 328, Ferrari 265, Mercedes 204, McLaren 73, and Alpine 67. So Alpine is creeping up on McLaren. But we hope you enjoyed this recap of this absolutely wild weekend. We are so excited to talk to you next for an Austria preview next week.